Welcome, nerdy knights of the well-rounded table to Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take those extremely dorky dives into our favorite th fandoms. I'm Padawan Learner and Defender of Droids, Sarah O'Connor. Welcome. Hello there, Sarah. Oh, Welcome hello Welcome to there. our very special episode. I am Colleen McMillan, Jedi Master and Rebel Scum Collaborator. And I am Pirate Jedi, Anders Drew. Welcome. And I'm your ambassador to Naboo, Princess of Prequels, Flo Siegel. And I cannot believe that we get late night Anders tonight at our slumber <laughs> party. Yeah, Anders of late, y'all. <laughs> this is very exciting. During, uh, during online poker, this is the normal time when I just start betting recklessly so I can get out and go to bed. Yeah, who knows what's going to be said here tonight <laughs> with Anders up so late. <laughs> Yeah, so for viewers and watchers um, wondering what we're talking about, we're recording right now at like 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, which is way past Anders's bedtime. So enjoy. And you know what? Not only do we run the gamut of comfy clothing, we do run the gamut in terms of rank from Padawan to Knight to Master. But no matter the rank you carry or the pajamas that you are wearing, one thing does remain constant. Much to learn we still have. Very, very true. I will also say I will not apologize for ever wanting to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so last time on Bohemian Geek Studies, we took an extremely dorky dive into the second half of The Mandalorian Season 2. And since that dive got pretty much even extra dorky, even by our standards, we are here with a bonus episode of Master and Apprentice, where we are examining your listener submitted questions. So let's get right into it. Sarah, can you please grab a drink from the cantina and punch it with our first submission from the Net? Yes, I can. So in Master and Apprentice, we had a ton of great questions for this episode, and thank you to everyone who contributed. Our resident X-Wing pilot and the light side collaborator, Tori Wentworth, had a great idea about how Ahsoka and Luke could interact on the Ahsoka show. Then we took it a step further. First, Tori doesn't want Ahsoka and Luke to meet in person. Using that youth serum tech is uh, using that youth serum tech is expensive and just doesn't look as good as the real actor. Let's face facts. Yeah. Instead, have them speak over Hollow. Luke won't look weird, and it will have a nice uh, re resonance with Ahsoka's Rebels moment when she watches the old Hollow of Anakin. But hark. What if instead of chatting with Luke over Hollow, Luke talk, or Ahsoka talks to Leia? With their connections to the Rebellion and Bail Organa, these two would probably have plenty to talk about as well as being able to trust one another quickly. I can see Leia briefing Ahsoka on a New Republic issue, then cautiously asking Ahsoka if she'd like to speak to Luke. Ahsoka, sighing, would say that she wasn't quite ready. Luke was the one who witnessed Anakin turning back to the light and the last one to see him alive. Mm -hmm. I can see why Ahsoka would be hesitant to talk to him. Leia makes way more sense if we're bringing a Skywalker into the Ahsoka show, even as a cameo. And you know how they love to bring <laughs> Skywalkers in as cameos. <laughs> Do they ever? So Just thoughts on that team or ideas on how to pull that off? How do we feel mm -hmm. about Tori's theory? I love the hollow idea. Yeah. If, if their problem is that they have to connect it at least a little bit to the New Republic and what's happening and Ahsoka, because she's active during this time, that we just need to know what she's doing. That would be so awesome if we could see Leia 
And it would be cool to see her talk to Luke too. I just don't know how much talking they would actually do because neither of them are super chatty. <laughs> I think Leia would be the one to try and coax Ahsoka into a conversation, which is what we would actually want to hear. I think it would be cool if they have to talk to somebody from the New Republic and it has to be a Skywalker. I think Leia would be a good option. Yeah, plus it would just be cool to see Ahsoka and Leia talking just like as two like really badass ladies. So that would be cool. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. It would. It definitely would. My one hesitation on that particular front, and I mean it was it was absolutely like a kind of a unique circumstance to insert Leia into Rise of Skywalker with yeah. footage that was already shot. Mm-hmm given that Carrie Fisher had passed, I I don't know how I feel about like kind of digitally recreating her posts in the, in that way. Yeah. It just, it's, you need, yeah, you need a new actor. Like obviously, I mean, Carrie Fisher did not voice Leia when she appeared on Rebels. Mm-hmm. So like that, that is a totally separate thing, but she then kind of recreate her in live action, even via hollow. It feels like a slightly different ball game to me. If it were Carrie, definitely. Um, so I don't I I don't know how I feel about that. That being said, I can't say that if they were to do it, I would not be sitting there but just being like, Oh my god, yes, what's going on now? <laughs> Please. Anders' <laughs> thirst is real. <laughs> my thirst is real for Leia. <laughs> I think we just need to get more comfortable as a Star Wars fandom and just like in general, actually Marvel too, just with like recasting. Like it's okay. Yeah, to, totally. Like we understand it's okay. Everything's fine. Yep. So. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Colleen, do you want to take the next one, love? Well, I guess. Yes, I will. Excellent friend and avid Boba Fett stan Jason Zambricki asked a, a little bit of a longer question here, so I'm going to quote him. So the tone, scope, and story were very different from season one to season two, especially the back half of season two. The story accelerated after ch- chapter 13, as opposed to the pace of the first season and the first couple of season two episodes. Mm-hmm. Coming off the success of season one, Disney seemed dead set upon this kind of, quote, Mandalorian slash Star Wars television universe, little MCU-ish. Yeah. Launch of season two was used to set up these spinoffs. Do we think that setting up these new shows came at the expense of the Mandalorian story itself? Because that has been one of the arguments for trying to do this many spinoffs off of one show. Flo, I saw you shaking your head yes. Do you want to go first, love? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I would, I would say yes, it definitely took a toll. Um, I think they tried to cram a lot of people in there. We wanted them to cram even more people in there because some of us wanted Ezra. (laughs) So we were like, yes, let's go. I mean, I think we would have been happy if Mando would have lasted just like all year. Just give me one episode a week for 52 weeks, but obviously it had to end. And so, like I said, in the last part of this episode which I guess came out on a different day (laughs) I just think there were pacing issues I think obviously they couldn't have known how Mando was going to do season one they put a lot of eggs into that basket and it obviously bore a ton of fruit which is great but it would have been nice if we could have spread out our cameos um, instead of shoving them all into a couple episodes of season two I do think it suffered I think it took away from some of the relationships that had been established in season one. That being said, you know, it was fine. 
I think it was a different flavor. I think if you wanted it to be a small knit world, Mandalorian season one is going to strip like far and away ahead of season two. I think if you were looking for those different flavors of Star Wars that like we had pointed out during each of our earlier episodes, and you were interested in seeing new characters brought in, I think Mandalorian season two did a substantially better job. I mean, season two would not exist, but for the excellent like seed planting of season one. And I think I'm kind of one of those Star Wars fans who loves when, when the web does interconnect two different things and I think the longer we we sit on the Mandalorian the better I'll feel about Luke coming on in in the last episode because I love the interconnected stories and so to me season two feels right now that it was rushed but that's because the web is getting bigger and I I love that we're going to be having those interconnections because apparently and we'll be getting to this for the last question. Grogu is going to be very central to Star Wars moving forward. So even though we think he's stepping off the stage, it's because there is more action to be seen. And I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. And it's kind of odd. Like I saw that the Rangers of the New Republic is going to be set almost directly after Return of the Jedi. Hmm. So that's a couple years before Mando. So that's going to be interesting to see how that can connect in with the Mandalorian universe and, and culminate with an Ahsoka me- mega event kind of thing. Like Mando, Ahsoka, Rangers, how much time are we going to cover? It's, I, I can't wait to see what they do. They definitely have got a lot of flow charts going somewhere. Yeah. Definitely. Storyboard, storyboard, storyboard. <laughs> Here's what we want for the entire thing. I think they've got to have just a room covered with whiteboards, yeah. covered with yeah. this kind of stuff. I think they did a pretty good job this season, like in terms of bringing in those extra characters, they actually, within this, like, yes, we've talked a lot about the Easter eggs, the tie-ins, other things, but in terms of actually like setting up spinoffs, they they really only set up like one and a half to two, right? Like they definitely set up an Ahsoka spinoff that was definitely deliberate. It was kind of obvious as you were watching it that that's what they're kind of doing. And then, like, they, yes, we know because of that Disney Investor Day announcement that they are doing Rangers of the New Republic, whatever that ultimately means. And we were kind of just left guessing based on the different things they did, what fits into that? What 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 could that be? Um, and I think that they're doing a pretty good job of setting this up. I mean, I'll draw the comparison. Once again, you guys have heard me talk about it many, many times before, and I'm saying it again. It's the Arrowverse on the CW. I mean, they did an incredible job. They had a season one that was very independent. Season two introduced the character of Barry Allen, who would get his first spin off The Flash. And I mean, they're up to like six or seven shows at this point after mm-hmm. this many years. They have a very well connected universe that can everything can operate separately and then do kind of that thing Sarah was just mentioning a couple minutes ago. Everybody comes together for these giant crossover events once, maybe twice a year. Right. And it it functions very well together, interweaving with each other. And I think that they've done a very good job with that. I this is just this is just me here. I don't know necessarily that that happened at the expense of the story of the Mandalorian. Maybe a little bit, but I will not go as far as saying they didn't push it so far as to like 
do the kind of travesty of what the DC Extended Universe has done in terms of their movies, where the entire function of the movie is is not to have an actual plot. Right. It is to set up the multiverse, the multi-franchise thing. Right. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, if <laughs> if they wanted to set up the Frog Lady like IVF clinic spinoff, they did a great job setting that one up. <laughs> I could have hey, used at least a little episode? more time with Ahsoka, but we knew yeah. we'd probably only get no. one episode with her. Right. So it was like, we, were, we got a lot. Of we were hashtag things. blessed to get what we could. I'd rather get the uh, the Frog Lady, you know, hot spring spa spinoff. The Frog Lady. She, uh... she opens a hot spring, guys. She now knows... It's uninhabited by spiders because they killed all of them. So it's fine. Frog Lady's over here like doing her own Love Island show. Yes. <laughs> <It's the> hot <laughs> springs. <laughs> Anders, why don't you take our next question? Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so friend of the pod and Faithful Rebels fan Keith had a couple of questions for us. And we want to start off with kind of the more humorous one. So talking about Boba Fett. Does Boba Fett get down? Yes. And if he does, will he and Fennec make a super assassin baby? <laughs> Good I mean, question, Keith. This is, this is a fabulous <laughs> question. Thank you, friend of the pod, Keith. Um, first of all, Django was hot. Yeah. And Smoke show. Really hot. So And Fennec is hot. So Fennec they're making a... Very hot. So... Boba, like, while a little bit old now, like, still hot, still hot, still, I mean, not Django in his prime hot. No. Let's not get crazy. He did get burned up by the Sarlacc. <laughs> yeah. He, he had stomach acid scarring. <laughs> I hey, chicks take scars, man. It's true. true. Yes, we do. Um, yeah, no, I think he definitely gets down. I'm, like, a little bit hesitant to say that they're going to make a super assassin baby only because we don't really know how the cloning process like affected his swimmers ding, and ding, also ding. like she is height part cybernetic at this point specifically like in her mid region so not 100% sure that she still has a functional uterus um i'm just putting that out there these <laughs> are the facts older, people too. she's older so. and she's older right so i would say you know what they would you know what they'd be great at starting up a like foster care assassin school a la umbrella academy <laughs> they're gonna start an umbrella academy of assassins very That's good I, can see that <laughs> I don't i don't think we can top that so I really no colleen why don't you yeah. uh announce our next one? Oh, this is another question from keith speaking of getting down why did the show seemingly abandon all sexual tension the last even slight spark with anyone was with the damn widow on the swamp planet right that's a direct question from keith her name is omera keith <laughs> omera on, the, on the swamp planet oh man anders i know you have thoughts on this I, one. I do have thoughts and honest i mean i think the short answer is that um it's a disney plus show so they can't get too far into the sexual tension and have this be on disney um the other thing I'll say on this one, though, is my kind of question back to Keith on this one is just, does the show need it? Like, is this show driven by that flow? I know you think sexual tension could show up anywhere for any reason. And to be fair, and it can, like, that's fine. But 
I don't that's know. That's never maybe, been Star Wars. Maybe this is a guy thing. I don't Han know. That's about it. <laughs> Wait, Han look at Flo Agas. You got Han and Leia, and you've got um, the Kanan basically the Hera, untold the untold stories of Kanan and Hera and Satine. Yeah, and like when it comes to Obi Wan, on the whole, Star Tra- Star Wars does not have a great track record in writing ro- what I would call romantic dialogue. Um, uh, unless <laughs> we know George George can't write romantic, <laughs> but I will say, I mean, again, my question is also like, does it need it? Like, yeah, that was those were some like nice moments with uh, Din and Omera, but. I am absolutely totally down for developing those like more those intimate friendships and leaving ro- romantic feelings by the wayside. Actually, in particular, with I don't know the the right term for this. It would be it would be kind of um, cross sexual orientation mm. friendships. So whether that's you know a straight man and a straight woman. Sure. Two gay men, two gay women, like people who you would expect to be romantically interested in each other, not developing a romantic interest and just developing a very strong personal, maybe even professional friendship. I'm very down for those types of relationships and shows because I feel like it is so much more of a cliche for them to end up in a romantic relationship when like, that's just not the case most of the time. Like what could have happened between Ezra and Sabine, but they very nicely sidestepped it and made exactly. it into a wonderful friendship. Yeah. Watch Rebels. Yeah. Watch yes. Rebels. And they're only I'm, teens. They don't, they don't know anything yet. I'm so much more into doing that than forcing some romantic tension just for the sake right. of doing it. Yeah. Like if Bo and Din suddenly had some sort of sexual tension, that would be so weird. Um, no, um no, don't bring, bring, bring friend bring friend friend rowan that's all i want all all i'm here to say is it never really seems that much to me for star wars to have a ton of sexual tension but i would love star wars so much more if they did ratchet up that sexual tension i know that it will like never ever ever happen so i guess we'll just have to start writing some fan fiction <laughs> I just have two things to say. First of all, to your point, Anders, I think you're absolutely right. I think seeing, I forget how you put it, but basically. (laughs) I don't even know how I put it. I couldn't think of how to put it, so. Anyways, what's really (laughs) nice is to see Din, and as much as I don't like her, Cara Dune, not having any sort of like a sexual relationship. They're like very business slash friends slash they help each other out. So I do really like seeing that. The next thing I need to say, I'm sorry. Did you guys not watch Attack of the Clones? Oh, we did. <laughs> we did. That's he why we're saying that. We, we did. <laughs> and said, not like here, where everything is smooth and soft. And I, I believe that. Passed okay, out. first of all, Flo, the line is soft and smooth. <laughs> okay. So clearly you saw it. And yet somehow you did not combust because I did. <laughs> I mean, I combusted with laughter. Does that count? <laughs> yeah. I'm more combusted combusted with Natalie Portman's like stomach got exposed later in that movie. Oh yeah, that's so good. So good. She would do her duty. Oh my god, I'm dead. (laughs) I think that she had better chemistry with Ewan McGregor. I mean, Ewan McGregor can have chemistry with like an old shoe, so that's not really fair to anyone, but I'm just saying, if somebody stroked my arm by a lake anywhere and just said the word soft to me, I would be like, all right, it's done. Let's go. (laughs) 
Let's go. If your husband is in the next room and can hear this. My husband is upstairs. <laughs> notes. <laughs> notes. All the notes. Take clothes. Rent a lake house. <laughs> I, I like when they do certain forms of sexual tension. Like in Legends, they do it a lot because Luke is awkward and likes to flirt with the ladies or try to. I, I think it's really sweet and cute when that happens. Like, Omera and Din were really cute. Yeah. Especially when Kara was like, why don't you just go settle down with the hot widow? She wants to do you. Like, I love that. <laughs> kind of like the awkwardness, not necessarily the, oh, romance and holding each other and just, I, that doesn't necessarily need to happen. I like the awkward flirting so much. Colleen, he cut her pair. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> <Where's though>? <laughs> I mean, would have been the so much for flow. Would have been so much. I mean, it could have been so much more overt if it was a peach. It's true. Can I just say we did get sexual tension in the season between Frog Lady and her husband, and yes. that was hot. Yes, that was true. That you is could true. tell they were in love. Definitely. Well, I think we can move on to our next question now, and this is from Nicole Churchill, who wants to know if we think Din is a good dad. Who wants to take it first? <laughs> I can take it first then. I I don't think he was a good dad. I think he was an excellent guardian. So, I mean, we love saying Dadalorian and it's totally like the dad and the son traveling into space together, but that's not realistically what the relationship was. I really think that overall, though, he was a good guardian as best as he could. Um, He has no experience at all raising children, let alone another species child. So, I mean, as much as we made fun of him for not being able to keep things out of Grogu's mouth, Grogu was hungry and toddlers can get into anything. And moreover, Din knew that he wasn't capable of teaching Grogu all that he needed to learn with his force powers, but still tried to keep him a little bit sharp. We saw that a little bit on the ship with the ball passing back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, and I really think that Din knew that he was out of his element but wanted to make sure that Grogu would get to his element. And that's exactly what he ended up doing. So, I mean, from, from, from the word jump, when he was supposed to assassinate Grogu and decided against everything that he stood for, literally everything that he stood for, he decided, you are like me, I will protect you. And that is exactly what he did. That was I so actually well think- said. I'm kind of tearing up a little bit. <laughs> I, I think he was actually a very good dad. Like, he really got thrown into this. And, of course, like, there were moments where he messed up a million percent. I mean, he, like, let his kid electrocute himself, basically. Um, but, like, we all mess up as parents because there's no manual and it is hard and it's a lot. And when they, like, hand you a baby from the hospital and they're like, great, take it home. And you're like, what? I'm not licensed to do this please don't let me take this thing home. You know, Mando stepped up. He like, yes, he like dumped Grogu off at like random people for daycare numerous yeah, times. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just going to bring us back to our holiday special. You don't think Grogu had like serious trauma from the abuse that, oh, that no. Din absolutely <laughs> like inflicted all, on him? First of all, Grogu definitely <laughs> has trauma, okay? <laughs> no, no, definitely has trauma. Yeah. But probably more trauma from the first 50 years than from like this whatever, however long it's been, less than a year with Din, who really has loved him and taken care of him and made sure that he was safe. No, there's definitely trauma, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Grogu's like a little latchkey kid, for sure. 
But anyways, yeah, I, I do think he did his best and he was obviously very attached and like, I don't really know how you measure a good dad, but he really loved Grogu. And to me, like that, that was really the most important, so. I think he struggled and he did the best he could. He did, yeah. Because like you said, there's no manual and he really has no manual. He didn't grow up with his parents. Yeah. He was raised by a cult, <laughs> embraced like family, kind of more like we need to stay alive so please don't take off your helmet ever and show your face and that kind of training i mean he's damaged too him and grogu both have these traumas which you, like you said they saw in each other and they latched onto each other which i thought was really sweet that their spirits kind of connected which is why i think they will continue to be connected and go back to each other every time they separate which is i don't know about dadding or parenting per se, but he, they definitely have this connection of love that I think will continue. And I hate the freaking attachment. Here we come again. Like, don't call it attachment. It's love. It's love and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And it made Din take off his helmet a bunch of times. Burn and the books. Yeah. Burn the books. Burn all the books. Burn the dark saber. Burn, Burn the all the ground. <laughs> yeah, send the dark saber my way. Uh, I think, yeah, so kind of piggyback on a few things I think you guys said, like, I think it's hard to say whether or not he is, in fact, a good dad. Um, definitely a good, like, kind of, like, guardian older brother. Like, once you actually label it with the word dad, there's something else. There's something else additional that kind of comes with that emotionally. Um, I mean, they're the most precious moments where we're playing catch. With, with the little silver ball. That's my one regret. That's my one main regret of the the season finale is that that silver ball didn't come back into play. Yeah. Like when they said goodbye, he didn't like take it out for, for him to take with him or something. I think um, it'll come back though. But it, I mean, those were just such sweet moments and they were the good moments. I, it's funny though, as I say that, I also think about um, Another show that I really loved watching that focused a lot actually on the kind of parent-child relationship and notably the absence of it. That would be Supernatural. Mm. Sam and Dean have this extreme brotherly bond and the sort of absence of their father, the substitution of Bobby as this father figure, the introduction of their other brother, Adam, who actually comes out and says at one point like, yeah, no, he wasn't like my dad. He was a guy who showed up and took me to a ball game once a year. So just those particular moments can't necessarily qualify you as a good dad. They're a step in the right way, but you got to make sure that you're still there, that you're that you're doing the right thing. So it, I don't know, it's maybe, yeah, maybe in a little while when we do a, a full episode on Space Dads, <laughs> I'll be able to have a better answer for this question. Well and that kind of leads me to this next thought that I just had, because as you were talking, I was trying to think back and like, we don't really have any very good parents in Star Wars. Just like Bail Organa, Kanan, and Hera, basically. Well, and, and Shmi. And Brea. Shmi worked And hard. Shmi. Shmi was I'd a really good Cle Cle was good too. Cleek was a good dad. Yeah. Yeah. I think and even like pretty weak sauce. Baru and Owen <laughs> were pretty good parents. I mean, Luke, the only thing he was whining about was that he couldn't go to Tashi Station. I think his life was pretty cush. <laughs> he was a teenager. He was a teenager. Like, yeah, yeah he's going to be whiny. <laughs> That's what happens. The angst is real. But we we don't see a ton of it. 
No. And so, you know, no, the bar is pretty low for like what we consider a good dad yes. in the galaxy. They cut Padme's parents out of Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Her parents were actually pretty cool from the book, the mm-hmm. two books that they're in. They were pretty, pretty great. Not present, really, but they were at least there and supportive. Yeah, we have a lot of daddy and mommy issues, though, rampant <laughs> in Star Wars. She, Palpatine, I am looking at I was just thinking about that. <laughs> real bad dad substitute. <laughs> terrible. Oh. Just terrible. But yeah, the good parents thing, we are going to have to do an episode about that because mm, yeah. it's like a freaking beginning of a Disney movie up in here. They're either dead or terrible people. Or slaves. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Who end up dead. Who end up dead in their son's arms. Mm-hmm. So he slaughters. Well, as would anyone. <laughs> <laughs> An Anakin Sorry. apologist through and through. Hey, I only have one speed and it is Anakin. <laughs> and I think finally for our last question, we kind of want to know whether and when we're going to see little Grogu again. And while we don't have a definitive answer on that, John Favreau revealed in a recent interview when questioned if we would even see Grogu again, that we would actually be seeing tons more of Grogu on Disney Plus, and we were just getting started with his story. In addition, he revealed that there will be earth-shattering revelations made in a future Mandalorian, well, many or at least one future Mandalorian seasons involving Grogu that will have a major impact on many of the Star Wars movies that fans are familiar with and that he and Dave will make sure that it will be done respectfully to the fandom. He continued to state that Grogu is not who fans think he is, high flow, maybe, right? And that there is a special connection and background of the character that will be explored that will alter how fans view some of the fan favorite characters in the Skywalker saga and how Grogu will be beneficial to some characters and crucial to the survival of the Jedi and the Force. It will be interesting to see what happens. And frankly, this gives me hope and anticipation that I was kind of missing from season three. So I'm really grateful for this recent interview. What do you guys all think about this stuff? Darth Grogu, I need it immediately. I needed it yesterday. (laughs) Great to your veins. I need it today. Let's go. I will snort it right up. I think we haven't seen the last of Moff Gideon's blood research that I mean, Definitely, for sure. Right? I think my, my, my head canon guess right now without having actually seen the interview fully is that it will have to do with the blood. I really do think so. That's going to be a key part of it. Especially if the new Republic has purging and yeah. start doing their own experiments. Yeah. Mm. What if yeah. they clone Grogu and we get a second Grogu and that's the Darth Grogu? Oh, it'll be Grogu with two you U's, go just evil like twin? in Legends. Well, yeah, you want to go twin. evil twin? Hey, I'll, I'll go for it. Luke Give has an evil twin. <laughs> Grogu is the new Django and we get a whole army of little Grogu's. I can see him having to come in and shut down something like that. Like if the New Republic yeah. is messing that around with cool. stuff that they should not be messing around with like they want to make more jedi or they want to make more force sensitives to protect the new republic like great but no let's not do the horrible cloning without the donor's permission let's not Uh, yes do that yeah but let's definitely go back to camino and their ladle chairs because i want to be there all the time (laughs) let me get that bad batch 
<laughs> I am definitely ready to see Grogu after some proper training. Yeah. I am ready yes. for that. Ready, ready, ready. Definitely ready for that. I am abs- I am nervous about this idea of connecting Grogu back into the movies that we already know and love. While I do have absolute confidence that if they're going to do it, like Favreau and Filoni are the two people who can do it story-wise. I would have to imagine that they're, I would hope that they are more talking about tying his story into the prequels because that's when he's at the Jedi Temple. That's when he's actually, we know already effectively he's kind of present for events and things. How did he escape? Tying him into the original trilogy, I'm really, really nervous about um, because we don't, I don't necessarily need to know that Deus Ex Grogu was behind the scenes yeah. of any of the events there. He's supposed to be hiding, so I don't know how he could be reasonably. Exactly. I would be interested, and I mean, this gets more into, this absolutely jumps like further ahead in the, the timeline or anything, but I would be really interested to know if potentially, I know we have a bare minimum of background information on him, but if he he and like the faction that was protecting him is somehow connected to Max von Sydow's mm. character from the opening of Force Awakens. Or Santeco's. Yeah. The, the guy of the that wills? <laughs> little Guardians of the Wills, the character um, who Poe Dameron was seeing in the opening of Force Awakens, who he got the map from in that village, who seemed to have some kind of a, an understanding of the background of the Jedi and the Force. Yeah, so I'm to make it through line that way. Like, people. I'm down. <laughs> I'm much more invested in hopefully seeing it tie into the sequels. I think with the tanks and the research and the cloning, it just it makes plausible sense to me, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm hoping to see. Like a little Palpatine connection. Exactly, exactly. I think I'm hoping that some of the rage that people felt at like the cloning of Palpatine, that will make more sense once we have hindsight. Like we've never, this is Star Wars people. We have never (laughs) gone in a temporal linear line. Like that is not what we do here. And so I could really see the blood medicine and the cloning all have to do with it. I'm, I'm going for sequels. Sequels are broke, baby. That'd be like kind of cool if the New Republic sowed their own doom by perfecting some sort of serum from his blood that then Palpatine got hold of to clo- like perfect his own cloning. Like mm. self-fulfilling prophecy, y'all. That'd be fucking great. Mm. I like that idea. I'm a I'm still a little hesitant on that. And I think that this ties into some things that we've talked about before that that would be great to have that kind of clarity, but it kind of would it would suck if we have to have that kind of clarity. That just means that they did such a terrible job of explaining that in Rise of Skywalker that you are required to watch The Mandalorian to understand it. No. See, I love the sequels. My, the I wish sequels we were are probably in, my favorite. Yeah. Well, I think the sequels, I, I like the sequels on the whole. Mm-hmm. On the whole. Um, and I think, but... I, I don't want you to be required to watch The Mandalorian to know why Rise of Skywalker makes sense. True, true. I think Grogu is going to be important in the Thrawn kind of saga that I think they're moving toward. I mean, that might be why Grogu gets super important be cool because too. he either 
takes Thrawn off the board or Thrawn's like, ooh, another Jedi, let's let's go bring you to Ezra back at Chilla so we can stop whatever the F is coming out of the unknown he could be He could be a, again, you need to listen to our Thrawn series to fully understand what this term means. He could be a Skywalker for hundreds of years. <laughs> he could, that would be amazing. If Thrawn's like, hmm, what's up, what's up Grogu? Yes. You want a, You want a jab? <laughs> or he could go and help them figure out why the Chiss Skywalkers are failing. Mm-hmm. Like that could be super helpful. He oh. needs to learn how to speak first, though. Yes. Yeah. Theories he abound. Mm-hmm. Anything further to add, guys? Otherwise, I think we've mm. wrapped it. I just want to ask you guys what your favorite moment was from season two. Oh, oh. let me think first. I know oh, I've got mine, so I can one. go first. Yeah, you go first. You go first. It ties in to the Ahsoka episode. And besides just seeing Ahsoka herself, hearing her say Grand Admiral Thrawn was pretty much, bar none, my favorite moment of the entire show. And that's just like a mention of a minor, not minor, but character that a lot of people didn't know about. And I was like, I had no idea that was coming. It hit me out of nowhere. Absolutely zero clue that it was going to happen had no thoughts or dreams that it could even happen and all of a sudden it was there and I was like oh crap oh crap Filoni's going there Favreau they've been allowed (laughs) to go there this is insane (laughs) so that just from the surprise factor and the love of the character factor just Thrawn and Ahsoka being mentioned at the same time how it's going to connect back to Sabine and Ezra the search for Ezra search for Thrawn Will we get more space whales? Just all of that meshed together. I was like, yes, yes, please. Just give me all of that. Give me up. Anything Rebels sequel related is probably going to make me the most excited anytime it happens. So for besides, I think Grogu touching Din's face at the very end when they said goodbye, mm-hmm. which that's going to make me cry. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Besides that, <laughs> I think those are my two would be Mando and Grogu focused touching of the face, other characters, Ahsoka with Thrawn. Well, my two are, because I definitely have two, my two are when Ahsoka is holding Grogu right above the fireplace. I found that to be just, that still shot, it gives me chills. I find it to be so beautiful, so powerful. It literally makes me believe in, like, it makes me a little bit teary. It literally makes me want to believe in the Force because it's just so... (laughs) beautiful and poetic and then my second favorite moment was like literally a second long and it was during the samurai um fight when she's wielding the best car spear and just lays it down hard right before the fight and it just lets out this ding and i thought that that was just chillingly cool theatrical moment it was just it was perfect. It was sound in motion. I'm going to have to go with Mayfeld and Din sitting at that table and just like the immense stress that I felt about what was going to happen um, about, you know, talk about Operation Cinder and all that crazy stuff. And I was just like, oh man, this is tense. And plus, like, I just loved that episode. So it was great. I love that moment. Anders? So, uh, I, I can't pick one. I can't even pick two. I'm, I'm going three. 
I'm oh, doing three. <laughs> I, love a, I love a rule breaker. Let's do it. Absolutely. Um, I mean, one of my three is absolutely one that um, you guys have already mentioned, the, the goodbye with Grogu and just seeing him reach out and touch that face. That was just the emotional resonance right there for a nonverbal character and in such an ultimately quiet moment yeah was just so so powerful and so well done with a puppet yep <laughs> um my number two this the action sequence battling that crate dragon like that was yes. one of the most that was one of the greatest yes. like just action-packed exciting so ways cool. to get into an opening for for the season two it it was incredible and it was probably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen shot for TV. Yeah. TV. Yeah. Oh, and Timothy Oliphant's hair. I think we should just add that <laughs> as an automatic. And then my third is it's such a tiny moment, but, and I, I mentioned it when we were talking about the Ahsoka episode, Ahsoka has been quote unquote captured by Din. He thinks he's got her in that kind of like tie thing. And Rosario Dawson just gives that small hint of a smile. And in that moment, I was like, holy crap, that is Ahsoka Tano. Like, I can't actually tell if I'm watching an actor or the animated or everything. All the emotions, everything, all the history with that character was just captured in that one single fraction of a second. And it was just incredible to me. Bravo. I love Great it. Great moments. So much. Great moments. And all of her baggage with Mandalore also. So she's sitting there and being like, I know how to beat you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not, again, let's not forget the Jedi won that war. <laughs> well, why don't we cheers and end out on a high note to the Mandalorian season two. Can't wait to see you for Mandalorian season three. Yay! That's where we'll leave it for you today. Thank you so much for being with us and come back next time when we continue exploring geeky topics. Remember, you can enjoy us in our podcast and YouTube format. Either way, please subscribe and leave five-star reviews. And let us know what you think in the comments on YouTube. Check us out on our website at Bohemian Geek Studies, where uh, you can watch all of our episodes and enjoy Colleen's book corner, where she's reviewing Star Wars literature. And you can also contact us through email and social media to let us know your queries and theories and more. And as always, keep telling other nerdy knights to join us because it really does help. Until next time, Beskar Spear and Darksaber up and keep those episodes streaming. Bye, everyone. Bye, if you live in Georgia, vote. Vote, 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 vote. 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 <laughs> Exercise that right.